Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning, especially those of you who are visiting with us and those of you who are online as well. Welcome. We're glad that you're present as, as well. Listen, uh, yesterday, and uh, I guess beginning uh, Friday night and then uh, Saturday, the ladies had an incredible uh, ladies' retreat here, and Nora Williams, who is the wife of the former minister before myself, like almost 20 years ago, was our speaker. And Lenora, I heard you did an absolutely fabulous job. Thank you so much for coming and giving us your time and your talents and, and your wisdom in the word of God. You did a great job for us. Which brings me to the next announcement, and, and that is that this week, uh, next week is our men's retreat, Unburdened. Scott Kiel from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma is going to be here with us. And so those of you guys who were on the committee for getting ready the tables and for decorating the tables. You need to be getting with Clint, make sure you're there. We're having a pajama, we're having a pajama contest, you know, and no, not really, guys. We're not doing any of that stuff. But anyway, we're going to have a good time up there, and we're going to learn a lot of really good things from Scott. He's got a, really, a lot of good things to share with us. And so, guys, uh, put that slide uh, a time for the 24th and 25th up at Camp Ivydale. It's going to be a good time to gather with one another. Let me also remind you of our upcoming spiritual growth lectureship. There is no proof, or there is proof of God. We have 10 men who are going to be sharing 23 lessons that I think are just really going to be super faith builders in terms of God's existence. And so I'd really encourage you to set aside that time on Thursday evening. There will be two lessons, and then all day Friday and Saturday, and we'll culminate on Sunday evening. And it's, it's, it's going to be a great lectureship, and I just can't, even, I'm talking about all ages, you teenagers, they're going to be great lessons for you. You'll be really um, impressed with the things they have to share with you. And then just a quick reminder that Clint and I are going to be getting a class on sharing our faith at the beginning of, of October. So I've been sharing with you lessons about the king, which is Jesus and his kingdom. And we've been looking at the kingdom parables. In fact, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, in that section of scripture, there are seven classic parables called kingdom parables that Jesus uses to reveal the kingdom or what the kingdom is like, how we are to live in the kingdom, how we are to respond in the kingdom in which uh, we lived. And as we went down through those secrets, we've looked at five of them already. We looked at the secret of the value of the kingdom as we talked about the parable of the hidden treasure and the, the pearl of great price or value. We've looked at the secret of the parable of the sower, that the word is powerful and that uh, the heart has to be right in order to receive the word of, of God. And then we talked about the kingdom of uh, kingdom's growth as we talked about the parable of the mustard seed. And we found that the secret was that great things happen from small uh, beginnings. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you the parable of the leaven, which really is the secret of the kingdom's influence, how it has such an impact, a worldwide impact, as it begins to go out into the world and change people's lives. This morning, I want to talk to you about the parable of the wheat and tares. The parable of the wheat and tares is one of the only parables that's used in Matthew alone. It's not found in Mark's gospel. It's not found in Luke's gospel. It alone is found just in Matthew's gospel. And yet it has an incredible secret to it. And so the secret of this kingdom and this parable is that how good and evil can coexist uh, together. And how we as Christians are to respond to it until the judgment. And in many ways, when you think about this parable itself, it's a, a great parable because it actually really has to do with the beginning of time all the way to the end of, of time. 
that there are those who are going to be wheat and there are those who are going to be tares. And the idea here is that you know, we have to coexist with one another, but the end game is that we want to make sure that we are the wheat, that we are the sons of the kingdom. Before we get into the parable, you might open your Bibles to Matthew, the 13th chapter. We'll be looking at verses 24 and following. But before we get there, I want you to think about this question here. Do you think that the world is getting better or worse? Well, if you had lived back in the beginning of the 20th century, the turn of the 20th century, there were many who believed that we were moving towards the age of planetary utopia. We, we, people really did believe that. And if you were to see some of the, been there and had, you know, attended some of the world fairs, you would have been impressed with that idea because they really did believe that the world was getting better and better. We were coming out of the industrial age. There was a lot of technology that was being presented. They were saying that there's, because of this technology, there's going to be a lot more peace in the world, that there's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to live in this world. They thought it was going to get better and better. And then 1917 happened, and the First World War began, a war to end all world wars, and 17 million people were killed in that war. Uh, followed up by the Great Depression. The Great Depression was where everyone lost everything. I mean, it was extremely hard, especially in the United States. You know, uh, this Great Depression and hit. I mean, it was so bad that men were jumping out of high, uh, you know, high uh, buildings. Uh, people were putting guns to their heads. People were losing everything. There were great lines where people were waiting in line just for their next meal. People were having to move to the poor house or to poor farms. It was an extremely devastating time. And that was followed up with the Second World War. And in the Second World War, 73 million people died in that war. Followed up by wars like Korea and Vietnam as they tried to stem the tide of communism. And then came the Iraqi wars and the Afghanistan war where we're trying to stem terrorism around the globe. All those things followed up from that period of time that moves us now into our time. And through that period of time, beginning probably in the 50s and moving forward, some would say to go back as far as the end of the prohibition that we've seen a moral decline in our society that almost wobbles us as Christians as we look at uh, the, the moral decadence that is around us. We're now, uh, you know, good is called evil and evil is called good. And we're wondering, well, is this world getting better or is it getting any worse? And probably most people who are in the 21st century as we are, are probably thinking to ourselves, it seems to be getting a lot worse. But I want you to know something. Almost every generation has felt like that at one time or another. Almost every generation has said that this generation is going to the dogs. And then a guy by the name of Vince Havner came along. And he says, I used to think that the world was going to the dogs, but I've stopped saying that out of respect for dogs. Well, everyone thinks that it's going worse. And so my question, once again, is this. Do you think the world is getting better or do you think it's getting worse? Well, the parable of the wheat and tares really is about that. Jesus answers that question about better and worse. And so I'd invite you to look at Matthew, the 13th chapter. Let's look at verses 24 through 30. Jesus, or he, Jesus, presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sold good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares, or weeds, uh, also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. 
And the slaves of the landlord came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and to gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up. But, to the, but gather the wheat and then put it into my barns. So he, he gives this parable. And, and in these parables, you know, Jesus always has what we would call a natural story. But there's also a spiritual element that lays below the surface that really is the importance of the parable itself. And so Jesus gives this, this parable here. Then he follows it up with two other parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven that we've already, already examined. And then it seems as though Jesus takes a break, that maybe they rolled in from shore. You know, he's preaching off the shore of Galilee. He rolls into shore, and he goes into a house. And while he's in this house, his disciples come up to him, and they say to him, okay, well, they didn't say this, but I imagine they're thinking, we, we get the mustard seed, and we get the leaven, but what about this parable of the wheat and tares? What is that about? And Jesus, he explains it to them. The other parables, we kind of have to ferret out a little bit. But Jesus, he takes and he explains this parable to them and, and tells them the meaning. Look at verse 36. And he had left the multitudes. He went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And as for the good seeds, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall be the end of the age." The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun of the kingdom of his Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear." So he gives you the definition of what the sweet and tares really uh, is about. So let's talk a little bit about the, the parable of the wheat and tares. And let me just share with you some of my thoughts about that. And then maybe we'll draw some personal lessons at the end. In fact, not maybe, we will draw some personal lessons at the, the end of it. It begins with this, the natural process of the story. And that is the farmer goes out and he plants wheat seeds. He plants good seed. But then Jesus goes on to say that while it is night, that his enemy sneaks in and he sows tares or weeds among the wheat seed. That was a really a common practice in that day. In that day, if you wanted to get even with someone or some kind of revenge, well, they didn't go out and spray paint graffiti on the walls of their enemy's houses. They didn't throw eggs at their chariots. What they did is they would sneak in at night and they would they would sow weeds or tares among their wheat crops or their barley crops or maybe even their, their corn crops. It was such a problem in that day that the Romans actually made a law against it. 
that if you get caught sowing this bad seed among the good seed, there's going to be a, a, a harsh punishment that you're going to have to pay out for destroying a, ga- a guy's livelihood. So this was a, something that was very common, and Jesus knew that as he was speaking to his disciples. Well, in the parable of the sower that we looked at earlier, the seed was the word of God. The seed was the same, but the soils are different. In this parable, the soil is the same, but the seeds are different. And it becomes the central point of what this really is about. And so there are spiritual truth. That's the natural part of the story. What's the spiritual truth about the story? Well, the spiritual truth is that Jesus plants good seeds, that is, people in the world, and Satan comes along and he plants bad seeds in the world. And so what is the meaning of the parable of the wheat and tares? What is Jesus driving out? Well, he goes down through kind of a cast of characters as he explains it to them, beginning in verse 36. And so he says, the field is the world. And the good farmer here, that is Jesus. That represents the Son of Man or Jesus who is spreading the seed. The good seeds, he says, are the kingdom of God. So Jesus came along to plant good things within the hearts of individuals, making our world a better place to, to live. On the other hand, the enemy, he defines, is the devil. And he plants bad seeds, and it's represented in the evil people. And so I'm not saying that he's taking and he's putting bad people there, but he's taking people who have an inclination towards evil, and he influences them towards evil, and they do evil things or they do bad things. And, of course, the harvest. The harvest is the end of the world. So he lays it out in very clear kinds of terms what this parable really is about. But did you notice that he said that the wheat, it represents the kingdom, uh, the, the sons of the kingdom. And the tares or the wheat, they represent the sons of the evil one. And did you notice that the two, they coexist together with one another? And the servants, they see this, and as they start to mature, they're able to see that there is wheat there and that there are tares there. How do you tell them apart? Well, if you was a wheat farmer and worked with that, then you would probably be able to do that because a wheat, as it matures and grows, uh, the head of it becomes full with grain and it becomes heavy and it bends over. Whereas tares, they don't bear any kind of fruit, any kind of grain, so they just remain straight. So you have these tares that are there, and you have these wheats are there, but their roots are tangled together with one another. He's saying that in the world you have good people and bad people who exist together with one another. But the next part might surprise you, and that is the next part is this, is that not everyone who claims to be a follower of God Not everyone who claims to be a believer in God is. And that's what Jesus said. There are those who look so much like sincere followers, sincere believers, but they're counterfeits. They're not the real deal. Uh, You can hardly tell them apart if you you will. Say, well, that's kind of harsh, don't you think? That there are, you know, that the wheat represents the sons of the kingdom and that the evil... People represent, or the tares equal, uh, represent the, the sons of the evil one, and that they're going to be cut down, and some are going to go to heaven, and some are going to go to hell. Doesn't that seem to be harsh? Well, I might agree with you to some degree on that, but Jesus said it. Jesus said that there are going to be two kinds of people in the world, two categories of people. There are going to be righteous people, and there are going to be evil 
people in the world in which you, you live. And you have to learn to, how to live within that kind of a circumstance in, in, in life. But it's going to happen. You are either one or the other. And so I guess maybe one of the questions that I would be asking you to think about, and maybe even Jesus himself, in fact, Jesus would do this, and that is, you know, who are you? What are you? Would you say that you are a son of the kingdom, a daughter of the kingdom, or would you say that you are on the parentage of the evil one? It's something that we're asked to think about as we look at the parable itself. And then he moves on to talking about the growing of the, the seed or the different plants that grow side by side. The wheat and the tares, they grow side by side, and they're hard to distinguish apart. There's what is called Darnell, the uh, wheat farmer. Uh, they have a nickname for it. They call it cheat. And so the cheat and the wheat, they grow together, and they wait for the harvest time to decide which is which, and then they separate the the two. Well, Jesus warns us that in trying to remove these weeds, uh, you can do a lot of damage to the wheat because they intertwine with one another. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, but this spring, uh, Lori and I decided, probably more so than Lori, we decided to take out two large trees in our yard. One of the trees we took out was in the front yard, a pretty good-sized tree. And when we had them cut that thing down, they had to take the the uh, root out as well, the stump out as well, which means they had to dig down pretty deeply and they chased roots all over the place and they left a huge patch of messed up lawn. I mean, huge. And so I decided, listen, I can't leave it like that. So I dug seriously like two truckloads of dirt and debris out of that thing, left a big hole. Then I had to bring in two truckloads of dirt to fill the hole back up, and then I leveled it out. Then I went down to Zamzo's, and I bought their premium seed. Okay, not just any premium seed, and I sowed that stuff. I'm a good sower. I sowed that stuff out there, you know, and then we started watering, and it started to grow, and along with the grass came some other things that I didn't expect. In fact, I don't know how they got there because the, the dirt was supposed to be in, you know, really nice dirt, and the seeds were supposed to be premium seed, but... Some enemy came along at night, I don't know. Maybe it was the irrigation district, but I ended up growing more than just grass. Other things began to come up, and one of the things that came up alongside the grass was a blade that much, looked much like the grass in its infancy, infancy, but as it grew to maturity, I found out it was crabgrass. And that stuff looks ugly. So in my case, I had to pull the crabgrass out of the good grass and so i said to lori lori as you're pulling the crabgrass be very careful because in pulling that crabgrass you could pull up the good grass because the two are going to be tangled in it and so we both we pulled some crabgrass you know and we left some holes in that part of the the yard well jesus said in terms of the wheat and tares he says well this is not richard's grass field this is my field and there's going to be wheat and tares. And when those servants come along and say, we want to get rid of those bad ones, he says, leave them alone. So why is he saying that? Well, understand that Jesus is not talking about wheat and tares, is he? He's talking about people. He's talking about people that are going to be good and people that are going to be evil. And so he gives them a stern warning about being careful how you 
judge. Being careful how you respond to the world in which you live. And so the spiritual truth is, is that we live in a world of bad, with, with bad people. But it's not our job to remove them. It's not our job to, re, to remove them. We may want to remove them, but that's not our job. And the reason is because we can't always tell the difference between a good seed or a good plant and a bad plant. We can't see hearts as God is able to see, see hearts. Does that mean that we just put up with evil? Well, no. God has given us a government that punishes those who are evildoers, but it's not our job to go out and find who those people are and take them out. Then there's the mowing of the harvest or the reaping of the harvest. And in the natural story, the time of harvest comes along and his servants are going to take their hand sis and they're going to go out there and they're going to cut the wheat and the tares. And they're going to start to separate them. And some of them are going to be, the, you know, the tares are going to be bundled together and they're going to be burned in fire. And the wheat's going to be bundled together and it's going to be placed into the, the barns. The spiritual truth is this, God's, at God's harvest, the angels will do the reaping uh, and believers will be gathered to heaven and those who are lost will be separated and they'll go to hell. And when Jesus talks about this, when he talks about fire and when he talks about hell, he's not using symbolic terms or he's being very literal about that, which should tell me and should tell you that that's not a place you want to go is a place of fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is not a place you'd want to find yourself. And so that's the parable. Let me share with you now some lessons that I think we can learn from the parable. The first one is this, be encouraged. Be encouraged. We face an opposition, but it'll fail. When he says, and an enemy came in and, and spread bad seed, that word enemy is closely connected to the word hate. It's a root word of the word hate. I want you to know that Satan hates humanity. He hates godly people. He hates righteous people. But I want you to know something else. He hates evil people. Even those who do his bidding, he hates them. He hates all of humanity. And so we have an enemy that is actively working and opposing God's work in the kingdom. And the devil does everything he can to plant and influence people in the world to be evil and to do evil things. And so what I'm saying to you as brothers and sisters is I just want you to know that there are a lot of people in the world who claim to be followers of God who really do some bad things. We were reminded of that last weekend as we remembered 9-11 and those 2,997 people who were killed by 19 Islam extremists who in a coordinated attack took four airplanes with the intention of flying them into the, the trade centers, which they did, into the Pentagon, which they did. And the one probably that went into Shanksville, it was planned for the, the Capitol building it, it, itself. They did these kinds of things. It was absolutely terrible. Osama bin Laden was the mastermind behind it. And they all said, Allah Akbar, which means that they believed that they were serving God. They came to be followers of God and that what they did was in the name of God. And I don't know how you can get more evil than that, but that's evil. I'm not saying all Islam believers are like that. The vast, vast, vast majority of people who are 
of the faith of Islam live in Indonesia, and that's not where their brains are. But there are parts of the country where it is. Is it our job to go out as Christians and to root them out? Well, I guess that's why we have armies. They're designed to go out and kill and break things, but I don't know if that's our job. Our job is to be fruit bearers. Then you have guys like this here. And that's Dennis Rader. Looks like a banker, doesn't he? I mean, you think he was a banker, but this guy was an American serial killer known as BTK, bind, torture, kill. From 1974 to 1991, he killed 10 people. They said that anyone that he targeted did not get away. They died. They were bound, they were tortured, and they were killed. This man was a monster. But you had never known it to look at him or to live with him because this guy was a member of Christ Lutheran Church, elected to the church council as president. He was also a Cub Scout leader. He lived a normal life. Everyone thought he was a normal dude. Everyone thought he was a wheat, and the guy was a terror. Not as in T-A-R-E, I mean T-E-R-R-O-R, terror. I mean, he was an absolute monster. But he lived alongside good people. So what am I trying to say to you? My point is that as Christians, we live in a fallen world where both good people and evil people coexist together, and sometimes you can't tell them apart. But the judgment day is coming. And God knows the hearts of men. And he will separate them as he would wheat from, from tares. Here's the second lesson. Be sure. Be sure that you're the real deal and that you're not a counterfeit Christian. These weeds are planted, he says. And sometimes those weeds, they infiltrate the, the church. Whenever God does something great, it's, Satan is going to try to come up with something to counterfeit it, to, to sabotage it, to destroy it. So when you guys think of a counterfeit, what comes to your mind? Well, almost automatically, we think about money, don't we? So when you take money and you go into it, the banking system, how is a cashier to determine or distinguish between you know, a real $100 bill and a counterfeit $100 bill? Well, they're trained to to look for it, to see certain signs about what the real deal is and what the real deal is not. They are able to feel it. They can feel it and tell the difference, the thickness, the weight of it. Have you ever went there and you've given them a $20 bill or a $50 bill or a $100 bill to a cashier and they take that thing out and they do this and they look at it in the light? They're looking for some kind of strip that is there or something that indicates. I get all offended when they do that because they think I'd pass them a counterfeit, but I don't know that I'm carrying a counterfeit, so they check that thing out. Well, God's the same way. He sets us up in the light. He feels, he knows the reality of what we are. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's so easy to think that you are someone that you are not. And when I think about counterfeit followers of God, I think about Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 31 through 46, where Jesus gives the parable of the sheep and the goats that are separated. Or Matthew, the seventh chapter that he speaks earlier at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, not everyone who says to be Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many wonderful deeds and then I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of your own laws, your lawlessness, I never knew you. That passage of scripture should make your blood turn cold because these people thought they were the real deal. In both cases, 
we have religious people who are surprised that they have lived a counterfeit life and that they have not pulled the, eye, the wool over the Savior's eyes. They're, I mean, they have the religious language. Lord, Lord. They have the religious acts. Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many wonderful deeds? And they thought they were saved only to find out that they were not. We thought we knew you, Lord. And Jesus said, I never knew you. It's important to know the Lord. More important than knowing the Lord is for him to know who you are. And so we're, we're caused to pause and to think, am I the real deal? Am I playing at it? Or am I really the follower of God that he expects of me? Because he knows the difference between a wheat and between a tear. Number three, be careful. Rash judgments can do a lot of harm. The servants, they went up to the Lord and said, Lord, you want us to go out there and uproot this stuff? You want us to get rid of the, the weeds that are out there? And Jesus says, leave them alone and allow them to grow together because in you digging them up, you can do a lot of damage. So what is he saying to us? What he's saying to us is that we're not given the last license to be weed whackers. We want to say to the Lord, Lord, don't you see the weed out there? Don't you want me to go out there and whack it? And God says, Jesus, says, no, leave it alone. If you can't tell markedly the difference between this good and this evil, then you need to leave it alone. Let God handle this. God is going to be able to do that. Am I saying that we are not to be fruit inspectors? Yes, but we're not judges. And so we have to be very careful that we don't take out our spiritual weed whackers and go to town and end up hurting a lot of people. And that's frightening when you think about it. I know as an elder, I know my fellow elders, shepherds, we feel that way a lot as we look at our, our, our church family and, you know, and how do we keep people faithful and have we overstepped our bounds and things, you know, that's always a concern. And so we're not to be weed whackers. Wheat and tares, they grow side by side. But Jesus says, leave them alone. That's God's business. He'll do the harvesting. You're going to have to trust him to do that. Finally, be patient. God alone will determine who belongs to him. We just have to wait for him and to be patient. And God will take care of, of business. And so you're thinking, okay, but what do we do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime... Uh, it doesn't mean we accept good and evil. It doesn't mean that we just turn a blind eye to that. And that's why Jesus called us the salt of the earth. As salt of the earth, we are agents that slow down the moral corruption that is around us. I don't think we'll ever stop it. But we can slow it down one person at a time. Those that we influence and come into contact with, we can influence them uh, for good things. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be the light of the world that shines in moral darkness. And so I'm saying that you're not disarmed, you're able to do some things. And so we have a government that punishes evil and criminals, you know, and we have a God who will take care of the rest in the end. So some final thoughts. Back to the question that I began at the beginning. Is the world getting better or getting worse? And the answer, I think, that Jesus says is it's both. Both. It just depends on whether you are one of the weeds or the wheat. If you are one of the devil's weeds, then your world is going to get worse. 
I mean, it's going to get a lot worse. And on the other side of the grave, on the other side of judgment, eternally bad, eternally worse. If I were to use imperfect grammar, it's going to get worser. It's going to get bad. But if you're on the stalk of God's wheat, your future is a bright one. So here's the thing with this parable. Parables are not always, they don't cover everything that you want when you talk about such things as this. In this parable, you just have to remember that God's kingdom isn't made up of plants. It's made up of people that God loves. God is not willing that any should perish. All should come to eternal life and repentance. That's what God wants more than anything. He proved it by sending his son Jesus to die. He's done all he can. There's an important difference between people and plants, and this is where the, the parable breaks down a little bit. There's an important difference between people and plants. A weed is a weed is a weed. It can never be changed into a wheat. But that's not true with people. Jesus can change a spiritual weed into a stalk of wheat, and that's the miracle of salvation. That he can take a bad person and make him into a good person. If you would have asked many of the followers back in the days of Saul of Tarsus, they would have said, that man is irredeemable. That man is a child of the devil. There's nothing good possibly about him. And he became a bulwark in the church. No one would have ever guessed it, but God did. So people can change. And because of that, that scripture, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so, I guess after doing all this, saying all these things here, I guess what I'm saying to you is that, okay, which one are you this morning? You be honest within your heart. Which one are you? Are you a wheat? Or are you a tear? A tear stands up proudly. A beet wheat bows low. They humble themselves. And that's what you need to do this morning. If you haven't humbled yourself yet and become a wheat, now's a good time to do that. Because guess what? We don't know when those angels are coming and the harvest time begins. So you need to make sure you're on the right side of what's going on here. And you're on the right side of this parable. And I guess as I close is just let me remind you as as weeds out there, your job are not weed whackers. Okay, you're, not, you're not weed whackers. You are fruit bearers. You are salt and you are light. So the message is yours. Your response is yours as well. Why well, don't we stand and sing?